This is Fuck Wellness, where we redefine what success and wellness looks like in your 20s. I'm Mallory. I work in the fitness industry and want to burn it down. I'm McKenna, your witchy friend who wants to change what spirituality means. And I'm Laura. (laughs) Stick around if you're feeling a little lost. And listen to us and our guests navigate our own lives, challenges, why we're mad, and who's at fault, and we do point fingers here. We do. Find us on Instagram at Generation3Girls and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Bam! <laughs> what? <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Fuck Wellness. As a reminder, we are still on a break. June, July, and August. We'll be back in September. This week, we are re-airing one of our favorite episodes, also one of the most downloaded episodes we've ever done with Madi, who is a content creator and a mental health advocate who is also hysterical. If you follow them on Instagram, you know that they are so funny. They hold talent shows and are just all around a 10 out of 10 human. So please enjoy this episode. All right. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Fuck Wellness. I'm Laura. I'm Mallory. And I'm McKenna. And today we have someone who, um, this is just really funny. <laughs> um, so today we have someone who Ken first introduced me to via socials and someone who their content brings me just a lot of joy and happiness and comfort and who like kind of in my mind you're like somewhat famous so I'm kind of like what are you doing here but also so happy to have you but today we are talking to Emily Moti no wait fuck <laughs> Madi Madi I should have clarified this Emily Madi just that good okay <laughs> hi Emily welcome welcome hi thank you <laughs> Um, we're so excited to chat today and I'm just now thinking usually we have our guests like prep a teeny bio that they can say up top but I think we might have forgotten to ask you to prep that in the email I think Mm. maybe so um, if you wouldn't mind yeah just off the cuff just a few sentences about who you are like if a listener hasn't seen your stuff yet your deepest fears like really dive in (laughs) okay okay um well my name is Emily Mahdi um I aside from full-time you know real adult job I do content creation on TikTok Instagram and Twitter mostly in like the queer and trans spaces um something I started doing during quarantine um in isolation having more time with myself I came out and kind of documented just my in real time realizing that I was non-binary and going through that and trying to help other people online with it and so I also like to do mental health advocacy and um my deepest fear is like the deep sea and I have a phobia, <laughs> I have a phobia of rust um oh ew. With- <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah. So that's me. New York. Feel- born and raised. Anything else important? <laughs> nice. Just a quick note on the rest. <clears throat> I feel very similar about mold. Yeah. Mm. Like it's, it's probably in the same phobia. It's called iophobia and it's technically the phobia of being poisoned, but that's not my thing with rust. My thing with rust is just that it's like dirty and I see it like on the highway. If someone's wheel well is like on a pickup truck is like shards of rust. I like shiver like this. 
It does kind of feel the same as like nails on a chalkboard, kind of like icky. Yeah. I just imagine myself being in like a parking lot or like parking garage at night, like leaving the mall or something and trying to like shimmy between cars. And if I like scrape a leg on, oh my God. I just, (laughs) yeah. I don't do rust. No need to describe it anymore. (laughs) We got it. Don't worry. Why are you making me talk about this? (laughs) I have one like little thing about that. Sometimes I like dream about moving to like an abandoned railroad town. um, What? And just like living. Nothing of this before. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's actually for like a few years. Um, But it's just like really random. I, I am like, a big fan of this one YouTube channel about old abandoned railroad towns. But if I do move somewhere like that, I'll have to, you know, keep in mind about the rest. Get your tetanus shots. Yeah, get all yeah. of the all the shots. Yeah, all the shots. What's an what makes it a rail just that if a railroad goes through it, what what qualifies? Um, okay, so here. I did miss I did, I misspoke. Abandoned mining town with a railroad aspect included so you dream about west virginia is what you're saying. yeah west virginia california north carolina there's a lot of, there's a few around and you can buy them for really cheap i've looked into it so the towns the towns yeah it's like schitt's creek yeah i want to buy schitt's creek <laughs> oh, okay 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 um let's get back on track so This month, December, we're talking about chosen families. We were like thinking about guests for this month for chosen family. And when I think of chosen family, like immediately the first thing that my mind goes to is like, what does chosen family mean in like the queer space? And then I was with my family for Thanksgiving week and that was super fun. They came to visit Boulder. But as most families can sometimes get to a point where you're just like, I need a little space. So I was taking some space from them and I was actually watching your live on Instagram Mm -hmm. and you were talking about how like, you really like talking about like all of this kind of stuff. So when we were thinking, like thinking about a guest, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to message Emily. So I wanted to ask first question, how has your personal experience shaped your feelings about the term family or chosen family? Um, I, my experience, just like my life experience, I, I grew up, um, I have a wonderful family. I'm the youngest of four. Um, I have a ton of, co- I'm Irish Italian, so I've got tons of cousins um, all over the place. And so family was always really important to me um, growing up. And thankfully, I never had to sacrifice any relationships when I came out or like anything else that happens in life. There's a lot of unconditional love. Um, but I think that there's still room for people who maybe understand you in different ways. And so chosen family to me does, isn't necessarily a replacement of the family that you're born into, but something that you curate yourself. I have, my family is very open and all of that, but um, I am obvious, not obviously, but as you can guess, the only non-binary person in my family. So it's important for me to have a family outside of that that understands those experiences that we can like bond on that for. Um, I have my sister, one of my sisters is a lesbian, so we get to bond on that, but there's still like a need to socialize and connect with people who have shared experiences with you. And sometimes that's not your family. I'm a big believer in like everybody. And I said this on my live, but that like in a non-shallow way, like in a very genuine way, I think that everybody serves a purpose like in your life. And that's why it's okay to like 
have friends who are your social friends. There's your friends who are your spiritual friends. You have friends who are there for emotional support and everybody kind of plays a different role. And so that's how I view chosen family is it, it's people filling certain roles I, that you need. Yeah. I think, I think the idea of like, like you said, like a lot of unconditional love in your family. I think the idea of like a conditional love is super interesting. And like, I was trying to think about like, if I've had like conditional relationships and like, like the familial sense or in like the friendship sense where it's like conditional on like where I'm living or like what, like sometimes friendships are kind of built on like going out and like conditional on like my stance on that or conditional on like, like, I'm just wondering, do you have experience with conditional relationships, whether there's like, can get a, like a condition of one of those things or a condition on like your sexuality or your gender expression or your gender identity? Yeah. I mean, like maybe accidentally conditional um, location is like a big one. Like you said, Um, I went to college in one town and then grad school in another town and I've lived other places. And I think it's just natural that you're not as close once you leave there. But once again, I think that that's like, that's not a testament to the relationship or like the friendship or the relationship. I think it's just like, we're humans when we're like actually near one another in close proximity, you're going to be closer. And then when you're not, you're not, some people stick around. Um, so I don't think it's like conditional in that I have to cut this person off. We don't live near each other anymore. It's like you stop serving a purpose in a way. Um, if they're not the person that you're hanging out with on a Friday night or going to get coffee with every Sunday, you know, something like that. And I don't think that that takes the relationship or like the specialness away. Um, and then the other question or the other part of that question was, um, it was, do I have conditional, um, like conditions, um, in the past two years between COVID and the elections and everything else that I've had to make conditions. So I've cut people out of my life who were openly or just complicitly racist or people who were very proud of voting for Trump or people who don't, you know, I don't care if you get the vaccine or not, honestly, like that's your body. But if you're like putting out information about anti-vax stuff and things like that, traveling during the pandemic, um, going to Cancun in, in the summer of 2020, you're just not a person that I need in my life. So I've done, I've had to cut those people out and it's more of like a silent cutting. I don't text them and say, Hey, I'm no longer interacting with you. It's just, especially when you're not living near someone, I can just unfollow them and stuff and remove them as a follower. And then all of a sudden we're not in each other's lives and you don't think twice about it, which is cool with me. I think that it's fine. And if I run into that person, if I go home for Christmas, if I run into that person, then like, maybe we can have a real life conversation, but I don't need to keep up with what you're doing. I don't care about what you're doing because I don't like what you're doing. So (laughs) That's definitely a condition that I put in place. And then things that come along with like boundaries. If I set a boundary and it's very clearly not being respected, then I don't need you to be in my life. I've definitely been thinking a lot about how your chosen family can change throughout your life. Like the people who are maybe my chosen family in high school, who I thought would be my chosen family forever. Like now that I'm like a different I mean, McKenna and I always talk about how we're different people like every single day than we were the day before, but you know, you have different like phases in your life or different growth, maybe a different growth pattern than other people. And how I love that you said that that's okay. Like, it doesn't mean that those relationships weren't valuable and didn't serve a purpose at the time, but that it's totally normal for you to change and the people around you to change and for your chosen family to adapt to new circumstances that you're in, new locations, new needs that you have. Like that's totally valid and okay. And 
I think that's the whole purpose back to what you said, Emily, about the roles in your life is you may have different needs and different roles that need to be filled, you know, now than you will in five years. And that's kind of the beauty of it all, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that maybe people view it as like, something bad to be like, Oh, what you you're friends with somebody because you need them. And it's like, yeah, we're humans. We have it's symbiotic relationships. There needs to be some kind of mutual benefit here. I'm not just going to keep giving and giving if I, if I have a shitty friend or something like that. So I like to think of it. Absolutely. Places you live. If I'm in grad school, I'm going to rely on people who maybe are also in a grad program because we all are experiencing, experiencing the same thing in college. My sorority chapter was my chosen family. And then you know, it, it goes on and on. And I apply that same logic to like relationships, like after breakups, I'm just like, well, between the ages of 22 and 24, clearly like that's what I needed for those two years. And like, you can be sad about the breakup, but it helps kind of in the healing process to just be like, they serve their purpose, you know, like at that time in my life, that's what was supposed to happen. And then there'll be another one or many other ones or whatever. Same with friends. So yeah, I just think that it's okay to admit that people need each other and have different roles for one another. Yeah. I think like I sometimes struggle with the idea of like moving on from a connection that is no longer serving me. Like I somehow I'm like, it was such a, like, I understand that like certain friendships and like a lot of friendships that I had, like in college with my, like the team that I was on and everything like those, those connections are no like the strongest they were was when I was in that environment and they will no longer be that strong really ever again. I don't, I don't think maybe I'll be wrong, but like, I struggle with not feeling bad about that. Like, I know that like for whatever amount of time that connection, yeah, it served its purpose. It was really beautiful, but I still like feel bad being like, uh, like, I'm not gonna like, you know, ever talk to you this much ever again. Or like, even in relationships, like, yeah, I think that like, sometimes I, it's hard for me to be like, not keep putting energy there when it's like, it's like, why keep why keep putting energy when it's, it's never going to be the same. It served its yeah. purpose. It was beautiful. Like we can move on and keep living our lives. Yeah. I mean, I never said it was easy. It's yeah. definitely hard. <laughs> I just said especially to do it. So. <laughs> yeah. um, especially with exes, I have a hard time um, letting go sometimes. But yeah, yeah, no, definitely didn't say that it was easy. But it's it just, it helps with the logic with like everything else that you do to heal from a breakup. But like having that like piece of information or mentality kind of helps. It's also so weird when you're in the middle of those experiences and recognize like, one day, like when you're on that team or whatever, and one day you're like, we're not going to have this same dynamic. Like it's grieving in real time in a way, which I think is an interesting experience. I try to prep myself. And so I like grieve ahead of time. And I, I usually do that in relationships because I'll realize that maybe the relation that it should end. And then I kind of like hold off on like ending it. And then, so because I already grieve it that when it breaks up it's like okay like whatever because I had already kind of gone through that process I just moved from Charlotte and I lived there for 15 months and I was working at for most of the time at a brewery and my last shift like the last the couple weeks before my last shift I was like grieving it because and every day we'd be like oh like your last days in three weeks your last days in two weeks and then like we were all sad about it and then I left and it was like okay like I left and they're still there they're gonna live their life I'm gonna do mine and like I still talk to my coworkers, but 
I don't know, maybe we like hype ourselves up thinking that it's going to be harder than it is maybe sometimes. Yeah, I've I've actually been called out (laughs) for doing that where you like pre-grieve like the end of something and then you're able to walk away from it in a way and the other person is like, the fuck? (laughs) But I definitely, I think that's such like a protection thing that I do as well. I was just going to say that I think that to Emily's point, like the anticipation can be sometimes more emotional than the actual experience itself. Um, Not always, like sometimes it can be the opposite, but I find that anticipating something like the end of a relationship or even like the end of an era of some sort of thing can end up like you are more worried about the actual ending than when you actually get there and move on. Like I think of high school and I feel like I grieved the ending of high school for like three years of high school. And then when it actually ended, I was like, oh, I'm actually feeling really good about going on to this next step. Not to say like I was, I was very sad, but I think we like almost pre-grieve subconsciously sometimes because we know eventually that it's going to, to end. I'm a Um, pre-griever and a (laughs) post-griever. A sad girl. <laughs> pre post during yeah all, all of the above, above. <laughs> that's very that's very um sur- you're with us you're the Sagittarius I'm a Sagittarius yeah yeah that's very surprising to me then I yeah I don't I'm I'm just like I'm I can't really well okay I'm gonna take that statement back that I didn't even say I was gonna say I'm not very good at astrology astrology which I'm not but that doesn't invalidate my spirituality but <laughs> I'm just starting to learn about like the complexity of, of astrology. And it's honestly really confusing to me, but I have my other two are Virgo and Capricorn. So I'm, it's like a, I have an interesting mix. Yeah. That makes sense then. Yeah. Emily, I got the vibes that, uh, you aren't a big person who regrets things. Do you feel like that's true? That's true about you that I am or that I'm not that you don't, you try, you try not to regret things. Yeah. I try to look for the, um, sometimes it can be annoying to my friends, but I'm always like silver lining person. Don't get me wrong. I have depression and I get down (laughs) and I get gloomy and I get existential. Don't get me wrong. But no, I mean, it's, it's another thing that's, I've gone through like therapy. I was in group therapy, um, my last year of grad or my last semester of grad school. And it was called, um, (laughs) calming the emotional storm. And I was in, in that because I was having daily panic attacks, so many things happened at once. And I went through a a bad breakup that I didn't handle well. And so I was having these daily panic attacks. I went there and they just helped with putting things into perspective and separating facts from feelings. And that helps me not regret things. Cause then once I list my facts and my feelings kind of in a column, I can like look at actually what's going on. And when you look at that, so in my breakup, for instance, like, you know, the, the feelings could be, she doesn't love me anymore. Like I must've done something wrong. I'll never be loved again. You know, that could be the feelings. And then the facts is like, we live in different States now. Um, you know, like the relationship, right. We want different things, like not as compatible as we thought. And so when you look at it that way, it helps you not to regret it because you're like, once again, that served its purpose at the time that it needed to. And that was a beautiful thing that happened. And this is the lesson that I learned. I now know like how I should be treated. And it didn't really, the lesson didn't really make it into the next couple of relationships, but that's okay. But like, <laughs> but it's like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to learn from this. This is a learning lesson. You're I'm young. You're like, this is what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to 
I'm like, thank you for this experience that is going to like give me insight into future experiences. So that's kind of how I try to think of things. Um, I don't think that there's much that I, I regret because I can always pick out something that's a lesson, all about the lessons. Opportunities to practice. Yeah, exactly. We had an interesting conversation a while back on the podcast about regrets and how I don't really regret anything, but I definitely do wish sometimes that I had the tools in situations to handle them differently in, in retrospect. But I don't think that means I necessarily like regret the situation. Like I think I learned a lot and found meaning in it, but like I definitely like wish that I had had the tools at the time to handle it differently, if that makes sense. But I think those both of those can exist at the same time. Yeah. You can feel like I wish I would have handled that differently, but I don't regret that it happened that way. Yeah. But does that, so then do you then take that and, and say, okay, like, let me add things to my like toolkit. Like do you to my go toolbox? Like, okay. Good. Okay. Then, that, yeah. then that's, productive. that's like the good, <laughs> that's not regret. That's a lesson. That's you learning a lesson. Yeah. I mean, I think that's reflection, right? I mean, that's yeah. just reflecting on this situation went X way and I learned a whole bunch from it. And these are the tools I wish I had had at that time. But now I get to develop them and hopefully <laughs> handle future situations differently. Yeah, that's what we can hope for. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Titties crossed. <laughs> Mallory, um, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you when you're in like the widescreen. And you, now that I said the thing about the mole, it's not just the mole. Like you look exactly how I looked when I was a girl. <laughs> like before I like... <laughs> Where I made such, um, when I cut my hair and started dressing more mask and stuff. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen any of my Instagram posts where I post more, maybe more at like high school, but we have, we're very, I'm looking at you and I'm like, this is really trippy. You look like me. (laughs) (laughs) That is really with this, but yeah, I'm like, oh my God, you look a lot like me from a few years ago. I'm going to take that as a big compliment, honestly. (laughs) I was was really pretty. So yeah, there you go. I was gorgeous. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. All right. I'll have to do some light stocking and get back to you. (laughs) I'll send, I'll send you a photo. (laughs) Okay. Sounds great. And we got our matching little thing. So (laughs) yeah, I love this. I was going to say something about this whole toolbox story that we've built and kind of tie us back, you know, to the chosen family thing. Sometimes a lot of the times with these two, like, I feel like I'm going through something and they have something in their toolbox that is helping me go through a hard time or a hard situation where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to say right now. Oftentimes they're like, here, let me help you. X, Y, Z, here are the steps that I'm going to write out for you, Laura, because you need to follow the steps. So I just think that that is like really cool. And like, definitely something that when I and forming like friendship groups or like chosen family groups. It's like, how, how do they handle my freakouts a little bit? And how do they like help me see things that I'm not seeing for myself? But I wanted to ask, cause I know you're going through a move right now. What is it like kind of having this established group in North Carolina and then having to say goodbye and trying, like, do you have do you have like friends already where you're going to move to or no? I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you have friends in, in Charlotte. Because when we're saying you have friends, there, period. I don't, have, I don't know. I don't have a lot of friends in 
North Carolina. I don't, uh, there's a lot of people I went to college with that are in Charlotte that when I moved down there, I thought like that's where I was going to be spending a lot of my time, but different parts of the city. And I, I work a ton and I don't really like to go like out drinking on the, I, you know, I'd like to go out for beers and stuff, but just once again, like different in college, these people, I, it worked out for us to be, you know, in a, in a tight circle because that's what we were doing, but now we have different interests. And so it, it makes less sense, which is once again, fine. It's like no burned bridges. I have the friends that I do have in Charlotte are really awesome, amazing friends. And I'm very sad to leave them. Um, but I don't like have a huge group of group of friends. I work remotely full time. So I spend a lot of time in my apartment, but I have family here in North Carolina in Brooklyn. I have tens and twenties and more friends and also family. Um, so I have a lot of people I'm excited. A lot of people who I met on the internet through like TikTok or Instagram that I'm finally going, going to be able to meet some of my like creator friends who have become honestly, some of my most like genuine relationships are with people who I've never met before. Um, the people I was hanging out with yesterday, I met them through a remote job that I had a year ago. It's actually my remote coworkers, twin siblings like younger siblings that I didn't work with, but I met them through them. And we've been best friends for like a year, but have never met each other and met each other uh, last night. So I'm going to have that in, in Brooklyn. And then people who I went to high school with, people I went to college with, and then people that I've just met through friends and friends, friends of friends. So um, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to it specifically because I'm hoping and I it will be a more queer community. The neighborhood I was living in Charlotte was like the historic arts district and it was pretty like um, diverse and pretty queer, but not really. So really what drove the the move was like, I need to be where people are doing creative things and people are, are queer. Like I can't be like the only queer person or like non-binary person in the front group anymore. Um, so I'm excited for that. That's going to be like a big, change for my chosen family for sure. Sounds like you're meeting your needs. Yeah. I, I ha- it was hard because I had a decision to make on, on where to live for a couple different places, one with the job um, prospect in it. And I had to say, pull out of the job application process because I knew that the place, it was upstate New York, where I went to grad school at the university I got my master's at. And I just knew my mental state when I was in that town because there's not a lot going on. It's not very diverse. It's a beautiful place to live. And I love the the chosen family that I have there. But I had to say, you know, for my mental health, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm taking myself out. And I thought they were going to hate me and be mad at me uh, because we were all looking forward to working together again. Uh, But they were like, we're so proud of you for like recognizing that you weren't going to thrive here. And I was like, you're not mad at me, you promise. But so it worked out. But yeah, meeting my needs, I more and more so starting to like put myself first and try to get what I need. I have a question um, and kind of switching gears a little bit and I might make some assumptions. So I want you to correct me if I'm incorrect, but um, (laughs) I think, well, you mentioned boundaries before and boundaries are something that we hear talk about a lot because as young people, one, they're just like so elusive. Like what are boundaries? How do you set boundaries? What do they mean? But I feel like just in, in the short time of, knowing and talking to you, I feel like you come across as very confident in who you are and have already mentioned how you navigate the world of boundaries. And I would just love to hear a little bit about your experience with that within like your, your family, your chosen family, but also like you have a whole other side of your life where you are, you know, I don't, I was going to say exposing, but that sounds like harsh, but like putting yourself out there to a lot of, (laughs) yeah, being vulnerable on, um, in, in on the internet, which is a 
different kind, I think, of boundary setting that is needed with that. So I would just love to hear. It's kind of a big question, but um, about no, all of the above. Absolutely prepared and happy to answer it. I used to have no boundaries for maybe up until like a year and a half ago. Like definitely the pandemic was obviously horrible and I had COVID and it was awful, but there are so many beautiful things that came out of being in isolation and getting to know ourselves better. But so I never want to say like, thank God for the COVID because obviously not, but I used to have no boundaries in romantic relationships, friendships, family. I would um, constantly be pouring from an empty cup, just always doing whatever people needed of me and never asking for it. And then when I do ask for it, I would find myself like being met with unwillingness to, to fulfill the things that I say that I need. Um, And after that kind of got to the point at the same time where I was having daily panic attacks and I was just like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, where am I spending my energy on these people who are not reciprocating it? Like, when am I going to start respecting myself? And then I got on Wellbutrin and that was really helpful. And that's not the only reason because I went on Wellbutrin. I went into individual therapy. I went into group therapy. I started doing, you know, reading about codependency and trying to like better myself. And it's been a world's difference. So once I learned like what boundaries are and how you can set them and, and all, and how they can be helpful. Um, I was just like, I'm setting boundaries everywhere, everywhere I go. Like, why not? And it, and it's helped a lot. So for family, I don't have to set, set a lot of boundaries, thankfully. Cause once again, like my family is just really great. I can't think of like a boundary there were, when I was having, re- when I was before my anxiety was under control, I think some boundaries I would place would be like, you know, I'm an anxious passenger, you know, can we, can you drive this kind of way? Like, and if I freak out, it's not because it's you, it's just because like, this is what I need. Like that was something that I set, which was really small with friends. I'm trying to think most of my boundaries are with my internet audience and in romantic relationships. Um, so, but hopefully when I communicate to my online audience, my friends who love me will hopefully pick up on it and realize that that's something that's just needed of me or needed for me. It's hard um, because when you are somebody like myself, who my whole thing is like being vulnerable and I love that and I'm going to continue to do it. I don't see myself ever stopping, but when you are selecting the things that you want to be vulnerable about, vulnerable about, and I pretty much have no limits. I'll be vulnerable about anything as long as I think that somebody can relate to it is that then people think that they have full access to you. It's a hard thing to balance because you want to be able to like give everything out because that's kind of the precedent that you said, but then you have, but then you have to say like, no, I'm choosing what I put out there. Like that doesn't mean that people can ask me really invasive questions and be disrespectful to me. So I kind of had to figure out what I was comfortable with. And I kind of just played it by ear. The one time that I put out like a huge post about boundaries, I was like crying on my Instagram story. I was like, can you guys please put trigger warnings when you send me a DM, like all this stuff, because somebody sent me this crazy DM and it made me, it put me in a panic attack for the first time in like a year. And I was just like, clearly this is something that needs to not happen. And so just to prevent it from happening again, I'm just going to tell people. And so I just play it by ear. I'm like, oh, that thing didn't make me feel good. We're not going to do that anymore. And then I'll make sure I tell people about it and make it very clear. And if people like kind of cross that boundary again, I have no problem communicating that again. And if those people want to continue to push it, then you either block them if they're a stranger or if they're in your life, you tell them that they have to either get with it or they're not in your life anymore. And hopefully they decide to get with it. So thankfully I haven't had to do that, but I've had to do it with like online people. Um, People cross boundaries all the time. They ask me really crazy questions. Sometimes they're just like, say really like out of pocket stuff to me, but it just kind of comes with the territory, I guess. 
Yeah. That's such an interesting dynamic though, because I think if someone has registered you and, and like, just from following you, like, I feel this from you as well as like, you are a safe person. Like it's a Mm -hmm. safe space to be. And I think that in like real life, I think a lot of people recognize that within me. And so there's a lot of like trauma dumping that happens. Not like when I'm when I'm working, obviously, cause I work through like some heavy topics with people, but also like just in everyday life or like when I'm on a date, it's just, people love to tell me everything. And it's such a weird thing to like navigate. Cause I like being that safe person, but at the same time, it's like, I need, <laughs> I need to be like prepared to receive this information. And so I think it's even another layer when it's an online space, when then someone might be like, well, I know you, but maybe there are layers to you that you don't. And like, they don't necessarily deserve to know because that's, you know, like it yeah. is, you know what I mean? Like it is a weird kind of thing because we talk also a lot about, you know, not everyone deserves full access to you until they've earned it, but it's cool to kind of also have a relationship with people in the online space that, I mean, relationships on the online space, I don't think are any less important than in-person Absolutely. connections, but it's, yeah, it's just interesting layers, I think. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for it. Like I, I will never take this for granted. It's so nice. I, you know, I get beautiful messages every day. And once I set boundary, once I did set the boundaries, I noticed a difference in my DMS and my DM requests. It would be like, there would be a a trigger warning up top if they were going to talk about something um, sensitive or they would say like, Hey, like, don't like, if you can't respond to this, it's okay. Like, I just want to reach out like, or they'll say, Hey, do you have like the most emotional capacity to like suggest binders to me right now or something like that. And it's, that's so respectful. And of of course, I'm going to answer somebody who's saying that instead of somebody who DMs me and says something, the the DM that got me, um, like made me freak out was somebody messaged me. And this is a trigger warning that somebody, um, like sexual and emotional abuse, but this person DM'd me and said, Hey, like, I hope this doesn't come off offensive. And, um, I love your content and everything you put out. You're so inspiring and you've helped so many people, but you look exactly like my teacher who sexually and emotionally abused me. And now I can't follow any of my favorite androgynous looking, um, which is just like, that's not, that's not what androgynous means, but like now I can't follow my favorite androgynous influencers. And so like, I'm really reconsidering if I could follow you or not. Uh, But I just thought you should know. And I'm like, why should I know that I remind you? And I freaked out. I was like, am I causing people trauma for for like existing? And for some reason I put it on myself that I somehow did something wrong. And it really affected me because also I was just like, why wouldn't you say something like, how do you know I haven't been abused? And like, you're just like kind of saying this thing to me, like, for no reason. So I removed them as a follower. I didn't like block them, but I was like, well, if you're thinking that you have to unfollow me, then just unfollow me. I don't want to continue to like hurt you by existing. I also felt like dirty in a way. Cause I felt like I was like lumped in with a group of like androgynous people, which what does that even mean? Somebody with short hair, like that's not. And I felt kind of like put in a group where I, I it felt really weird knowing that there was a person that I don't know out in the world who was like, had negative quotations or like negative things, feelings about me for like nothing that I did myself. Um, and that really freaked me out. Um, so that's kind of what like set off me making boundaries, um, for my audience online. I was just like that. It freaked, it freaked me out. And I have a friend who looks like me, who is a, is a musician in LA and a content creator. They got like the same from a different person, almost the same exact message being like somebody abused me once that looked that has like short blonde hair like you. And like, I don't know if I can follow you. And they posted this. And I was like, I got that message like four months ago. Like, 
what is up with people saying this? So I guess it's a common thing. I don't know. But yeah, that was, that was hard because then I, I, uh, this goes 50, 50 people either roll their eyes or they're like me too. But I, I am very, I'm an empath. Like I know that people like hate that, I guess, but I truly believe that I am. And so I take a lot of responsibility for the way other people's feel, other people feel. So when somebody tells me that they're, they're like reliving their trauma because they watch my video, I'm going to take the responsibility of their trauma. That's another reason why I had to set boundaries is because I always feel responsible for like the way other people feel. First, I'm so sorry that happened. That's so completely inappropriate and also creating more trauma, right? and, like trauma for you. It's just like all of a sudden, like it's, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. But I think with like the responsibility for feeling, you know, feeling other people's trauma and all of that, I can deeply empathize with that. Has it ever stopped you? Do you think from like doing things? Like, have you ever had to like, like putting content out or talking about something? Has that fear ever stopped you from taking that step of sharing? The fear of somebody being like traumatized or like triggered or, or just, something. yeah, I guess I don't know exactly how it, was. it made sense in my head. I promise. <laughs> like no, this idea no, of, I'm, I'm sure it makes sense. Um, I want to hear exactly what you're clarifying, but it did remind me that like, um, the way that I feel responsible for having other being responsible for the way others feel has stopped me from exiting two different abusive relationships way sooner than I did because I felt bad for them when I was the one that should people should be feeling bad for. Um, so like in that sense, like that's affected me, that stopped me from taking action and doing something that's right for me because I'm like, well, how are they going to feel? Um, if this happens and somehow for some reason putting, um, people first, but I'm curious, like what, what you meant for like the online side of it. Yeah. I think what I meant also, I think this happens in, in everyday life as well. Well, in my experience, but it's like, I feel like I'm constantly managing how people will perceive me so that Mm -hmm. I am like, I don't, so that I'm able to not, it's not even like people pleasing, like that is some extent of it, but it's also like, how can I be the person that like these people need me to be and like say the things that like is helpful. But like, if I say one thing wrong, is someone going to take that the wrong way? Like, I just feel very like anxious about that whole, honestly, just like people perceiving. And so I think sometimes, I don't know, does that make a little more sense? Yeah. And I'm that same way. And I learned that that is manipulation. And as soon as I found out that that was manipulation, I was like, I'm not a manipulator. Like, yeah. I can't, now I I'm like, that so really scared me actually. Cause now I can't it's, be a manipulator. Let me explain. Let me explain. So it's not manipulation in the sense that like you're gaslighting people and you're like taking advantage of people. You are manipulating, like literally just the definition of the word manip- manipulate. You are manipulating the environments around you so that I'm assuming, cause this is what I do so that there's no reason for anybody around you to be upset. And then therefore yeah. nobody can be upset with you. And you're, by doing that, you are maybe doing things that, and when I say you, I mean myself too. Um, like you are maybe not speaking up when something bothered you, or you're not making a decision that you want to make. And you'd, you'd let other people make it, even if it's not in your best interest, because you'd rather them be like happy with it and have no reason to feel negatively towards you. And that's codependency. Not that doesn't make you not. Oh, no. <laughs> no I'm, I, am, I am therapizing myself as I'm saying this. This is what I read in my codependency no more book and <laughs> <In> my workbook. 
Um, I'm not, not independent. I'm very independent. I've lived on my own for a long time and I've been financially independent and whatever for a very long time. I'm independent, but that you can be codependent in that. Like you want people to need you. You said it like you want people to need you. I want, and sometimes need people to need me. And I have to stop doing that because then I find myself like everywhere I go, like, what's the right thing to say? What's the right thing to do? What's going to please everybody at the same time. And that's going to, that drives me crazy. And that's a boundary that I gave to myself was kind of like, if you don't want to go to that restaurant for dinner, like say that, or if like something as small as that. And then once you start there, um, I got a lot better with it, but I was constantly always analyzing the environments around me and the, the behaviors of people. And if somebody seemed, if we were at a, a gathering or a party and someone was like on their phone in the corner, I'd be like, what did I do? Even though like I didn't even speak to them that night or something, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, for some reason, like it's my fault that this person isn't enjoying the party when maybe they're like fighting with their boyfriend. But it was it was all consuming all the time. How can I make sure people are having a good time and are happy and have no reason to ever say anything bad about me? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like once you once you're used to like doing that scan of the room and being like, okay, is everyone happy? Like, what can I say to make everyone happy? You can get really good at it. And then like you have like positive, at least for me, like positive, like reinforcement of doing that because it's like, oh, I just said something. Everyone got happy. I didn't feel like that's what I wanted to say, but everyone got happy. So let's keep doing that. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I was doing in all relationships, romantic, familial friendships, um, coworkers. I would get off of, I would like, if I got cut early from like a restaurant or a bartending shift and I knew like my, I was rightfully cut early because maybe I was there before. And if my like coworker was there that maybe I'm not even close with had to close that night and mentioned like being hungry, I'd like use the time that I got off for getting cut early to go and like get food and drop it off. Even though he didn't ask me to do that. I don't know what he likes to eat. I'm doing that for myself. I'm not doing that for him. That was me only serving myself so that I could feel better about getting the early cut. Mm-hmm. But I always thought that it, I was genuinely doing it for the other person. But then my, like I started talking about this and um, like in therapy and to my friends and my therapist or my friends would be like, did he ask you to do that? No. So don't do that. You are manipulating him to not being mad at you for getting the early cut. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't sit with this information right now. Uh, But yeah, that was a huge realization for me. Not, not easy because it's addicting to be a people pleaser to, to always be like the person people can rely on and, and um, get something out of, but it'll, it like was slowly killing me. So I had to stop. Yeah. I really think it's like, yeah, it's like the double edged sword of perceptiveness. Like, cause there are benefits of course, to like, you know, noticing and being observant of your surroundings and like, especially like in friendships, like noticing emotions, being socially aware. But then I think that can also get to a dangerous place where you're like over perceiving everything around you to try to fix all of those problems. But to Lara's point, I think we're rewarded sometimes for that behavior, which makes us keep doing it because people like people like that who really like change to fit the situation or you know, try to like, um, to your example of like getting food. I mean, those things that are really for you, but they may be perceived as actually trying to help other people. Like we're constantly rewarded for that behavior. So then there often doesn't feel like any incentive to change other than like your own (laughs) sustainable survival (laughs) inside of your, your head, which may not feel that important in that exact moment. 
Yeah. It was a quality of mine that would, that like partners have fallen in love with me for, but it's also the same quality that they like fell out of love with Mm -hmm. me, like from, with me, from me for, because then like they, I don't know, like what it ultimately would have meant for them because then it's, you're just constantly doing things for them. And like, what does that say about you? I don't know that, that had been a pattern for me. Uh, where it's like the quality that people like love. And then once you realize that, yeah, like you're just kind of curating this world for them Mm -hmm. to like always love you and like never have a reason to be mad at you. Um, Not healthy. Yeah. I'm going to count this as my second therapy session of the week. I'm sorry. I didn't didn't mean to dump that on you. It's I love once again, like the lesson, like once I learned that I was like, I'm manipulating people that's my worst fear. I was like, Jesus Christ. I thought I was like, I was thought I was being nice. Like, a, but then it was like truly, truly draining me. So I didn't mean to like dump that on you. No. Just when I hear people say the same patterns, I'm like, you have to learn this with me. Like you stop doing this um, because it's yeah. just gonna. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I talk about in therapy uh, quite a bit. And I think I I'm pretty good at intellectualizing why I do the things that I do or like, you know, it's very clear to me, like the way that my childhood was, was, is, now influencing the way that I interact with people. And then there's also kind of in the past few years has been like this new spirituality component. Um, and I'll briefly explain what I do, but I, I give readings to people. So I like the best term would be like a psychic medium. I don't like really relate to that term very much, but it's just like an easy way to explain. And so then there's the added layer of like, because of trauma in my childhood, I was taught to always know what everyone's mood is. And then now that I know how to like do this other thing, now I know a lot more about people. And so it's like, who am I in this dynamic? And then, you know, switching from, you know, like, who am I, if I don't serve other people all of the time? And like, who am I, if I let a little bit more of like the wild part of me out. And then when that starts to happen, then like the boundaries come in because people's dynamics do change. But I think something I've been writing a lot about recently is like, I don't want to be like the nice, good girl anymore. Like it's not fun, like for anyone, like I want to be me. Like, and sometimes that means fucking up. And sometimes that means like doing things that, you know, maybe overstepping in one way or the other, but no, I appreciate that you brought it up because it's important. And I think kind of looping back into chosen family, it's like, I'm very grateful to have the community around me. Who's like willing to go on that journey with me as I'm like actively you know, exploring it. Yeah. Um, what you said about, oh man, what did you, you were, um, like being like the nice person, like not, not having any conflict. Do you hate conflict? Um, I am better at it now. I used to, it used to like my whole body shakes. Like I get still nervous, but I'll meet it now. Like I'll, I'll meet it. I I'm like getting better at it. I hate conflict. I always assume if, if like I fuck up and somebody's mad at me, then it's permanent. And there's no way, even though I'm so forgiving and people have fucked me over, over and over again. And I forgive them, like genuinely forgive them. But I, it wasn't until like my oldest sister who is like married with four kids. This is her whose house I'm in. Um, obviously we're different. She's nine years older than me. And we like last summer kind of gotten in an argument um, I forget what about something silly, but we were kind of going back and forth and she could tell I was getting really stressed. And she kind of just like put her arm on me. She's like, you know, like when we wake up tomorrow, like we're sisters and like, it's okay. We can just like have a disagreement on things. And I was like, but like, you're mad at me. And she's like, and I won't be in five minutes. And I'm, but ha- I'm like, how that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, 
you, I don't know. Um, so I don't know if it's like a self worth thing or I don't know like what kind of trauma has led me to believe that if I fuck up once I'm done for, but, but yeah, it's, and so exactly like chosen family, obviously my sister is my real family, but she is also my chosen family. She is who I choose to put a lot of energy into and spend a lot of time with because she makes me feel good and you know, all of that. So I, I choose to have her in my life as much as I can. I moved to North Carolina to be closer to her. So like very much chosen family. Um, so that was a lesson to learn that like you can, people can be mad at you and you can like get in a fight and it'll be okay. Yeah. One more thing I want to say about that too, is like, even like one, obviously we're worthy of all things all through this journey of like experiencing all spectrums of how we engage with this part of ourselves, but like also and you can let me know if this is something you feel, but for my experience, like I really want to learn healthy boundaries with this side of myself because it is also one of my favorite things about myself. So like feeling like this is one of my superpowers that I was given, but it's like, how can we engage in the world in a healthy way where we're not, like you said before, filling or like giving from an empty cup, like how, I don't know, like that balance is really interesting. Cause I don't want to yeah. like just disregard that this is part of me. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's a really important part too. Absolutely. It's like the best thing about me is like that I can, people can come to me with things and feel comfortable coming out, coming out to me before they come out to their parents, strangers and like things like that. Like that's yeah. my favorite thing ever. I never want that to ever end. Um, and some of that is being a Leo. And then some of that is just like me knowing that that's me and like a value that I have for people. Um, and I think the reason I got so serious about trying to identify these patterns and break them is because I was like, I don't want to lose this. And if I continue on this pattern, I'm going to lose this because I'm just going to shut down mm-hmm. and I'm no longer going to be able to provide this for people and it'll just be done. So yeah. that's why I got so serious about like, pay attention to the signs here and and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Sorry guys, I just like took that <laughs> took that whole thing for a spin, I but I think it was no, that was great. No, you're you're fine. That was good. I um yeah, because I was thinking about like specifically for you, Ken, like that ability to be such a giver is part of like the identity that I associate with you. But I'm also like when we when you were talking about it, I was like, wait, should that like not be such an identity that I put on Ken? Like it can, but I I agree, it can still be a part of like your core value to give to people but it, you know obviously as we've seen can be a little out of hand <laughs> I don't know I think it's really cool like the ability to going back to social media I think it's really cool for like someone that like someone that someone has never met in their life to feel that trust and like I think that like Emily it like proves to like what you're putting out there that people feel like such a connection of like, they're talking about these issues. I'm struggling with some of these things that are connected to the things that you're talking about. We're sharing something. So because of the way that you like go about socials, I think that like, there's a bunch of like empathy and understanding and like comfort that people feel in you and like feel that you can commiserate with them. But I also think that like, you know, just trauma dumping is not helping anyone, but also Mm -hmm. that like, that's the balance. I don't know. Yeah. The, the balance. I appreciate you saying that. That's very nice. That's like all, like I said, like all that I want. And I even have like people who message me and they're like, 
yeah, I'm like a cis cishet male, but like some of the stuff you say really gets me. They're like, I I had a panic attack once and like, and on all the stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's not just for, I mean, my analytics are like 97% female and 3% male, but I'm sure most of those females are really like gender non-conforming if, if they allowed that to be a category. Um, but, but yeah, are any of you gay? Am I allowed to ask that or queer? <laughs> yes. Okay. I was just curious. I'm, I'm always curious about people who find my content. I'm always like very surprised if it's somebody who's like not queer or, or at least like queer adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always just like, what do you, you like my stuff? Like you like, I mean, I'm glad that, I, that it is, but I'm just like, I would assume that somebody that can't, that isn't into queer stuff would just like scroll past my shit and be like, I don't want to see any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I think also I'm going to, we're going to compliment you some more is that your content? <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> I think like first social media is like not my favorite place to be. Like it gives me a tremendous amount of anxiety, but I, and I also have a very good bullshit meter. And I think that there are a lot of people who even like have platforms. Of course, there's like so many tremendous important people that are, are using their voice in, you know, positive ways. But I think that I like, when I watch what some stuff that you put out and just like your content, it feels very like authentic, which is such like a, a weird word to use. Cause it's so overused, but no, it's truly, feel, yeah, no, it truly feels yeah. so like, like, I'm like, okay, this is like a no bullshit zone. Like we are not like pretending to be anything that we're not. And I think that's like a really special quality that is sometimes difficult to convey through a screen. Like I think that's a really like huge testament to kind of how you are, how you're showing up in that space. Thank you. Yeah. I definitely like do not bullshit. I don't think that I've ever, I mean, before I came out and I wasn't doing social media stuff for the purpose that I did, it was probably all bullshit, you know, like posting things that made me look good and stuff, but I have, I've created the most genuine relationships in my life after being vulnerable. And so like, that's a testament to like the power that it has to like helping you connect to people who you can relate to. So I'm never going back. I'm just like, this is me. Like, I don't care. Like my, my parents follow me, like all of this, my, the CEO of my job follows me. And what I posted a few weeks ago about like my anxiety and depression and how it was like at the time in a, in a bad place, my skin was breaking out and you could tell I hadn't been sleeping and like my cuticles are ripped apart. And I just like posted this because I'm like, I didn't know that he followed me. And then like, he messaged me was like, Hey, do you not happen to call? Like, are you okay? Like kind of like checking in on me. And I was like, listen, like, you know, that I was like on social media and I'm like, I promise you, like, I'm okay. If I ever needed like something from work, like time off or something, I would let you know, this is just like my feelings when I wake up in the morning. And if you continue to follow me, you're going to see that it's never like a cry for help. It's just like me literally type. I'm a writer. So like, I want to type out things like, as I feel it, I like to mm-hmm. act like social media at the same time as it is a place for like me to feel good about myself by like posting something I think I look good in. It's also a place for me to like feel good about articulating a compliment that I get a lot that I feel comfortable like saying, because I think it's true is like, I do articulate my thoughts well and like take kind of complex, maybe like feelings or experiences. And I put them maybe in a way that people can relate to um, where maybe a lot of people say like, you took the, like you took the words that I wasn't able to put together. And I think that that's like a superpower. And so I'm going to like continue to do it if it's about something as silly as like sex or if it's something like mental health or coming out, whatever it might be. I'm just going to keep doing it. No bullshit. Because what, what, what's there to, to gain? 
from from bullshitting. I personally don't see the value. I'm just still laughing about how that cis hetero man was like, well, but I still get lots of positive things from the mental health part of your account as if we're not like multifaceted people. Like people would only go to your content because you're a non-binary person. And like, that's the only benefit they're getting. I feel like it's just a good reminder that like our identity is like multiple things. Yeah. I mean, I am pretty obnoxiously gay, um, (laughs) but you can, you can, yeah, you can like sift through it. I've had those comments before, or, or they'll say that, or they'll say like, I learned so much from you. Like now I can talk to my cousin at Thanksgiving and like not misgender them, you know, something like that. I like, mean, that's a great thing. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's yeah. like great. Cool. Yeah. My favorite demographic of people who reach out to me. And I, I say this like genuinely, but also like kind of sarcastically is like the ages between like 40 and 60 of women who have been married to men and have kids and have somehow found my TikTok and came out. And like, I'm sure not obviously it's a lot of work that they had done, but like they say, it's kind of like the pushing point for them maybe. And like, they're now like living this second life that they weren't able to prior. And they like reach out to me. I was on like a um, late bloomer lesbian subreddit. People were like sharing my TikToks. I used to talk about sex a lot more on TikTok. They censor me a lot more now, not like graphic, but like helping people out who there's not a lot of one in this, in the public school system in America, sex education in general is bullshit, but let alone like you're not going to queer people who are starting to like hook up in high school or whatever are never going to know anything about like queer sex protection or like things like that. Even pleasure should be, you know, should be noted. And so I was like, well, screw it. Like I'll do it. And then TikTok started like really since like not letting me upload things. So I do it less and I do it more, a little bit more on Instagram now, but yeah, my videos of me, like talking, like talking about like queer sex and like how to top is like on a subreddit of like late bloomer lesbian somewhere. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like, I, like, I think that that's a really cool thing. Um, and I think that's like my favorite demographic of people who reach out. That's um, so rad. Those are my I favorite cool, stories. Right? Like, my favorite stories ever because there's something like about like us that we think that like oh like you know your sexuality becomes just like this stagnant like cemented thing at at a certain age when it's like no it doesn't like we're always changing like 90 years old you could be changing so yeah it's all about exposure too which is also why I like to be open about like gay stuff is because like you don't really know until you see someone and if you don't have someone in your life like an older cousin it's like oh that's like you know my older lesbian cousin if you don't like have that and if you don't have it in media we're starting to get it but it's still pretty shitty representation and then the representation that you do get that gets pumped out on the algorithm a lot is very toxic people in the queer space who are like you have to pick top or bottom and you have to pick femme or mask. And, you know, they're, they're conflating top and bottom to sub and dom. And they're like putting out misinformation about what these labels mean. And they're forcing young, either, either if they're young age-wise or they're young in experience, they're forcing these people to think about labels when they don't need to be. It's this like toxic queerness of like, you need to know if you're a Hey Mama's lesbian or if you're like a soft butch, like you need to have these labels on you. It's actually terrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's terrifying. And I like, so I have some, I recently put out a video and I was like, Hey people just figuring yourself out. You don't need to know if you're a top or a bottom. You might not even be either of those things. Like you could be a switch or reverse. Did you even know that these terms existed? Probably not because the whole fucking thing on TikTok is you have to be one or the other. And it's intimidating because 
then I have people reaching out to me being like, uh, like, I'm so scared to like hook up with a girl for the first time because I don't know if I'm a time and I'm like, just, just do it. And then you'll figure it out. And then you'll figure it out with the next person. It could change with your partners, all of this stuff. But I, there's this toxicness and I don't want to like blame the community, but a lot of toxicness comes from within the community where we're pushing out these labels. We're hyper focused on labels and labels can be really great for some people who need it for their identity. And then it can be really damaging for people who don't know themselves yet. Um, and it can really freak people out. And that's the feedback I've gotten is that it does freak people out and that it's nice to hear somebody say that you don't need to, um, to pick these things. And there's a lot of policing on the internet about people being like, like, if I say I'm a non-binary lesbian, I'll have, you know, hundreds of comments being like, well, how can you be a lesbian if you're non-binary, if it means woman loving women? I'm like, WLW is this bullshit fucking acronym that has been pumped out to describe lesbians when the definition of lesbian has never been woman loving woman. It is non-man loving, non-man. If you look at any literature and any queer theory and any of this, like, you know, that lesbians are in nature, like inherently non-binary because they are breaking away from the gender norms of marrying a man and having children and having this stereotypical female role. So when you are a lesbian, you are not like word-wise, maybe not identity-wise, but word-wise from the definition, you are non-binary. You are breaking the binary. So yes, you can be a non-binary lesbian. I don't have sex with men. And then I get people who are like, well, I'm a lesbian and I have sex with men. And I'm like, you know what? That's great. Don't yell at me, but I won't tell you how to like call yourself, but like, let's just, let's just let each other call each other what we want or don't call each other anything. There's a lot of policing on it, but so that's another thing. That Go feels very fear. Feel like we needed a mic drop right there. Sorry, that, that was a that was a rant, but it's just. I it, loved it. Yeah. I loved because it. Like, some of it is my peers, like some people I'm mutual mutuals with, or like people that I like. I know, like my followers follow, and I kind of like get defensive. I'm like, don't listen to them. Like they're teaching you something bad. Like this isn't like good behavior. But I'm sure I missed up here and there too, and and I have, and I've you know figured it out from there, but. But yeah, that's the rant. It's just, it's, it's too much. It's scary for people. I think so many people are coming out now and obviously it's just going to be better and better. And more people like when I I see so many like young people just like living like out, it's amazing. Um, Especially seeing like, I was about to say young boys, seeing like younger, like 18 and up like guys that you wouldn't, you would never see these like guys representing like gay spaces but they are. And it comes up on my feed and I love it because um, like there's so much like biphobia in, in uh, against men and stuff like that in, within the community and with that and outside of it. And it's beautiful. Um, but with that comes all these other problems of people trying to tell you how you need to define yourself. And I think it's toxic. Well, I think my comment before is like that to me is just such fear-based messaging of like, you have to know exactly who you are because I need you to fit in a box that I can handle or whatever it is. And it's just like bullshit. It's just like, if everyone can just like relax and, and understand that we're having this human experience together and there are quite literally no rules to like how we choose to express ourselves. It's like, I don't know. It's not hard, but it's like, we just need the people to get on board with that kind of yeah, which is hard when it's like conditioning and yeah, there's a whole thing, but that yeah. was really well said by you. Thank you. And that, I mean, and we can wrap it around, you know, chosen family of like, when you are entering these queer spaces and maybe you're like newly out, be careful who you are picking as, are these people who are like, are these people healthy? Are they like, 
I don't know. I just, I see it and I get scared sometimes people feeding off of each other with this like toxicity. So it can kind of go into, we can relate it to chosen family that you just have to like pay attention to the words that they're doing and like the things that they value. Do they value like your identity and what you label yourself as, or do they like respect that it can be fluid and yeah, I, we're going to start wrapping up, but I have one quick question about that for you. I don't know. So it's like, obviously not the same, but in the spirituality community, it happens a lot. Like there's just so much bullshit. Like, it's just like, I can't even like stomach a lot of it. Cause it's just people lying or saying things to like, that are so fear-based that like you need to do certain things to be worthy or to have connection, or you have to believe in like God, or you can't believe in God. You can only believe in energy. Like it's just so like rigid. And I get really upset. Like I get very upset. And like I have a lot of anger, which is why I don't like being exposed to it. But then someone one time was like, well, it's their role is important. The role of kind of like what they're doing, even if it's wrong, is still important in this experience. And have you ever like I don't know how to phrase this because I don't think that misinformation is, you know, important. And of course, if someone is saying things that are harmful to others, it's not important. But like, mm-hmm. do you ever feel like some of those maybe representations of those spaces are important for people to kind of like learn through? Or I do you know, I don't know. Yeah, this is I an mean- off the cuff thought. No, I, yeah, I think people can learn from that, but I'll like kind of flip it and say that it's beneficial, I guess, in a way where when, because someone like me and there's many people like me, when they see that misinformation, they're going to go ahead and make a video and tell you and like straighten that information out. So in that way, when people are obviously people are probably internally like thinking these things. So when you have the people who will go out on the internet and say it with their full chest, say these like incorrect things or these toxic things, it presents an opportunity for you to correct them. Um, so I mean, that's good because then it's a conversation starter, but, and you know, people define things differently. People like some people, like, especially lesbians, like enjoy taking on that tap, that toxic, like role. And like, they, it's just genuinely just like a toxic man likes to take on that role. You know, everybody has their downfalls. Like people, you know, people like to be toxic. People are whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's whenever I see stuff, something that makes me angry on my thing, I put my phone up and I record a video and I talk about why it makes me angry. And then probably a 0.1% of the amount of people who saw the original video will see mine. But at least if people know that that's out there, it makes me feel better. And it kind of releases the anger from me because I know I spoke on it and I did what I could to, you know, fix it. Yeah. It's weird that everyone can have their own megaphone. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's rhetoric. I mean, so when you have these successful people, like whether it's creators or politicians, local leaders, whoever they may be, when, if you have rhetoric, then you can, you can put out a message there and you can get a following and it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. If you know how to establish your credibility, if you know how to get people to start to relate to you and kind of bring them in, then anything that you say is really going to resonate with them, even if it doesn't really, because you've created that relationship sometimes even parasocial relationship with this audience. So that's kind of just like the beauty, but also bad things of, of rhetoric is that people can use it in bad ways. Yeah. Yeah. I had one thought that I wanted to say um, about the whole, like, just, I think it's like, it, for me personally, like many freakouts were had about like my identity by seeing content that was very like polarizing like that, like, you know, top, bottom or switch, or like, how do you dress? How do you present? How will people like perceive you? And like, 
I think that like the, it's just like all about like the idea of perfection and like it's perfecting, like, like people think that there's like a perfect way to, to like have the, an identity or to live a certain life. And it's not like perfection is stupid and a function of maintaining white supremacy. And like, why do we still think that this is like a way that we need to be like living? Like Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know. And like a phrase that I would, I just like kept writing down when I would like kind of have freakouts was like, don't let, uh, what did, how did I phrase it? Don't let the perfect get in the way of the good because I was like, oh, I don't know if I should act like this or dress like that. But it's like, just be yourself. Like you, it's ethical to just be you and do whatever you want. And I think like, when I think about like queer communities, like it's very clear to me when certain communities or like social media pages or whatever are either extending a hand and like inviting people in, or if they're making others feel like they have to prove themselves to enter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just really awesome because when I think about like your social media space, like, like a a question being like, are people who are like me or different than me or like you or different than you, are they allowed to be here? And are they feeling safe to be here? Mm. Uncomfortable to be here? And I think the answer is yes, which I think is super awesome and cool. So that was my thought about that. Yeah. And we want to be happy for people who are secure in their identities and like maybe know all the labels for them. And like, we can applaud that and like, you know, congratulate them on that, but it's not something that's, that's needed. And when people are trying to figure themselves out and they're scrolling through their phone and they see people who are like putting out, putting out these crazy words, like, yeah, like I'm a, I'm a demisexual, uh, polyamorous mask top, um, no, like touch me, not lesbian, um, whatever. Like, and they like list these things out. I'm like, this is fantastic. You must've gone through so many experiences to understand that this is what you are. But then there's this idea that then you have to do that. And that is so terrifying. There's so many words. I'm like looking up on urban dictionary. What the fuck does demisexual mean? Is that what I am? And then I'm like, what are all these things? And like, there's always things to learn and access to queer education is privileged because when you are in communities of color and you're in communities where maybe you don't have internet access or you don't have the privilege of having a real life queer role model in your life, um, you don't know these terms. You don't know what every letter in LGBTQIA+, there are people that are actual lesbians who think that the A is ally. And there's, you know, like it's, and I like that's actually a thing that I know from talking to people. And so there's so much to learn. Literature, like access to literature and access to research is a privilege and all of this stuff. So when we kind of act, and then that's another thing is when people in the comment section kind of yell at you for misusing a word, or like misusing a term or not knowing what it means. And they're kind of get on you for like not being woke enough. It's like, you're actually not being woke because you're expecting everybody to have the same level of education and access that you do. And that's just not the case. It's an extreme privilege of mine to be able to like have access to people that my sister was a lesbian, that my family allowed me to respect and learn about people who are different from us and things like that. Not everybody has that. So there's just so many layers to it of just like, let people be whoever they want to be and figure it out on their own time. And if you have a resource that has helped you come to yourself, share it with other people, which is literally just what I do on social media is like, if I, I'm like, this really helped me. Like I've realized that I was non-binary through, um, quarantine these are the things that I did these are the movies that I watched and the books that I read here are here's the links 
like hopefully you can find something in there too but there's a lot of gatekeeping of like I had a very unique experience and that's the only way I was able to learn who I who I was and like there's no way you're going to experience that too it's like that's not the case I ranted again (laughs) no it's great anyone have anything else was there, did you want to like, I feel like I deviated from chosen family. Do you like, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. These are loose Literally themes. Totally fine. Flexible. Okay. I, I think that we, like, we talked a lot about it and ultimately it's like, I, I'm speaking for all of us. You, Mal and Laura, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like we value the conversations in whatever direction they need to go. Cause that's what needs to kind of be said. So mm-hmm. yeah. Laura, do you want to close? <laughs> Okay. All right. That's all for today. Uh, Sorry. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Um, Okay. Emily, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, I got it. uh, People can find me on both Instagram and TikTok at Emily P. Madi and on Twitter, but Twitter is less serious and more of my nerdiness, which might be fun at just Emily Madi. Yeah. They can't find, I'm not giving out my address though. (laughs) And your cell is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes about chosen family and super fun. We are doing another community episode about chosen family. So if you are listening to this and you're like, whoa, I have such a cool story about a chosen family in my life. Lucky for you, you can share it. <laughs> if you would please do that. So stay tuned for ways to participate in that episode. Have a great week. Wait, 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 wait. Nope. Don't, don't, don't say goodbye. Yet. I, <laughs> just clarifying the form will be in the description. The so. form will be in the description, everyone. So you don't have to wait any longer for anything. The form will be in the description. Sorry, you're not leading anymore. <laughs> It's never really every a, time Laura leads, lead. McKenna and I are like, yeah, it's really fun to watch them <laughs> freak out. Uh, no, but for real, Emily, thank you so much for uh, coming on and you know sharing this space with us. It was really, really fun. Yeah, yeah, I had a lot of fun. If there's ever like another thing, I will totally come back. You guys are fun. Yay! Ten out of ten. Them.